2: So excited to introduce my friend, my dermatologist, and a very, very famous and well-known and celebrated and respected New York City-based board-certified dermatologist, founder of Idris Dermatology. Is it Idris or Idris? I'm going to tell you yes, but it's Idris. (laughs) It's Idris. I always say Idris. (laughs) Idris. I've been saying it wrong for years. It's okay. Founder of her own skincare line, Pillow Talk Derm, which is the namesake of her IG Live. And I feel like that's how a lot of people know you and feel like they know you personally. And yeah, your professional mission, which I've obviously experienced firsthand, is to make patients feel their best by demystifying bullshit in the world of skincare. So obviously there's so much information out there. Like we're all trusting TikTok and all these like random (laughs) 17-year-olds to tell us what to do with our skin. And she's out there to like actually tell us what's right. And in terms of like cosmetic dermatology, less is more kind of the opposite of the LA internet look. Like I went to her and she changed my life. And on a personal anecdote, I think it was the first time that I went to you when you had to... Uh, that Shoot wasn't me with the, the no, EpiPen. that. Wasn't, I don't
3: think that was the first time. I think it was after your first or second visit. Yeah, it was very early yeah, on that in our relationship. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I was like, this girl loves me. She's dying. <laughs> and instead of going to the hospital, she calls my office to come in. Yeah, so, and get a little bit
4: more. So, yeah. So
2: fun fact, I was I was doing like allergy shots and I had anaphylactic shock. I already had an EpiPen in me. And then like four hours later, they're like, you're free to go home. You'll be okay. So I go to my appointment and everyone knows it's impossible to get in. So I was like, I'm not canceling this appointment. So I get there and I go up into anaphylactic shock again. I, and during I, the appointment, no, she was, like, she was like, I felt
3: kind of something coming, but I didn't want to cancel. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, yeah. go to the hospital. She's like, no, 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 I didn't want to cancel. I don't, I just really want to Exactly. So
2: instead of getting a Botox injection, I got an EpiPen I, like, injection. I took her to EpiPen
3: and stabbed it in her leg. <laughs>
2: yes. Wow. And that was, but that was the beginning of. That was it. Beautiful (laughs) friendship. And here we are today. And here we are today. So I think, obviously, like we told you, this is a very casual podcast. We want to have fun. We want it to be very vulnerable. And like, obviously, you have so much that you've done that we admire and like want to know more about. And I think just on a personal note, like I've known you and I think you're so honest and so vulnerable and so personable. And I think that's a huge part, like other than being extremely talented. And that's why you're impossible to get in with. You're like such an easy person and safe person to be around. And that is a part of your magic. And we are just very honored and blessed to have you here. That's so sweet. Well, Thank you for being be here. here. Welcome you. to the
4: pod. So we start every podcast by asking a question of what is your definition of fulfillment? And what is your definition of success? And if they're intertwined at all. And that's a loaded start. <laughs> I know. We get deep <laughs> real fast. I mean, it's a very
3: good question, and I think it's one that's very hard to pinpoint for many different people. And I don't think there is just one thing that fulfills you in life, right? I mean, people are multifaceted for a reason, and I think there's many different things that fulfills them. But when I think of fulfillment, it's more of like what fills your soul, what makes you happy, what makes you go, and what keeps you kind of like excited, quote unquote, on a daily basis, and very honestly, like for me, when I look back and if I think back, what keeps me going is exactly like to Jasmine's point is watching somebody come in and leave with like that extra pep of confidence, like a little bit excited, a little bit happier, a little bit more motivated to like live their life and start their day and do whatever it is. So from a professional standpoint, like that's and even from a personal standpoint, that's what keeps me personally going mm-hmm. Being able to see that sort of like light bulb go off, that transformation happen, and then them leave a little bit happier. And to this day, if a patient comes in like, I'm really nervous, I don't want to, I don't know if I should do this. I tell them, go away. (laughs) Time for you to leave. Don't pay for this appointment. Yeah, I didn't do anything, but I'm not treating you or touching you if you're not even an ounce like excited or curiously happy to do this. If you feel forced, if you feel like you have to, like, it's not something that I'm excited to be a part of. So my own fulfillment comes from just watching that transformation happen in people. And even through social, like seeing, getting like random DMs, like, oh my God, you know, like, thank you so much. Not because I'm looking for gratitude, but thank you so much for that video on acne. I really understood it better. My skin has cleared. Or even, That random love advice you did, you know, on that weird Friday night, you know, made me realize that I'm in a dead end relationship, and I broke up with my boyfriend. And I've had these messages come in where I'm like, "Holy shit, did I just mess up this person's life when I was talking out of my ass on a couch?" You know? And then they're like, "No, I, I I literally changed my life. I decided to break up with the guy, and now I'm a nurse. I went to nursing school. I decided to kind of." And I was like shocked that somebody would take advice from a total stranger who has no qualification in giving love (laughs) advice, but at least their life is now better, you know? So that keeps me going. And success is a different metric. Most people think of success as like financial success or like monetary rewards or, but success for me is more like if you're fulfilled. If you're actually doing something you love, and it sounds cliche, and you're actually good at doing something you love, success will follow, whether that is financial, whether, whether that is like in terms of volume of patience, whether that is in terms of exposure, whether that, whatever that metric is. Success, I think, has a quantitative metric attached to it, and it doesn't have to just be financial, but success follows when you f- follow your own fulfillment. And so for me, they are somewhat intertwined, but there's no one metric for success In my, same thing with fulfillment. There's no just, there's no one facet. So are they intertwined? Yes, they're intertwined. But I think success varies from person to person.
2: Has money ever been like something where you're
3: like, I'm successful when I make money? To say no would be a lie. Yeah, I think it's pretty normal. I think for me to be financially free has always been sort of my motivation. You know, I don't want to be dependent on my parents. I don't want to be dependent on a husband. I don't want to be dependent on this. I don't want to be dependent on that. And I think it comes from an immigration, like an immigrant mentality. I come from a war-torn country. I come like, my dad was the only breadwinner, like in the beginning, he was the only doctor in the family, and at least in our family. And my mom wasn't working. She was helping at home. And then she was working to do her own, to gain her own financial freedom. And just coming in from a country that is very much... By definition, you know the man is here, the woman is here, the country is Lebanon. Oh, I'm by originally the way. from Lebanon. Yes. Sorry, I'm originally from, Le- Sorry I'm originally from Lebanon. Sorry, I'm originally from Lebanon. But it comes with a lot of biases and a lot of cliches that we're used to thinking of and cultural sort of things. That I always wanted to be not that and not dependent on anyone and not like, oh, well, you come from this family, so you have potentially money. So no, 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 because my dad came with nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to be able to stand on my own two feet. And I think my parents have instilled that within us because my parents came from, their families were well off, but their lives changed overnight. And when they came here, they lost it all. And so I think it was definitely something that has been ingrained from a very young age. Um, So financial freedom for me was that sort of- A priority. A priority. So I never had to depend on anyone and no man or woman or anyone could ever be like, well, because of me- Blah, 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 you know? So. I think I've actually asked you this, but I remember your answer being
2: really good. Like, I think, which also, I guess, goes to show that I've always been curious about people's like point in life. But did you always know you wanted to be a dermatologist?
3: I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. And I knew that I loved working with my hands. I love transformation. And actually, I thought I was going to go into plastic surgery at first. And I definitely scratched out desk job when I was yeah. like 15 or 16, because I tried certain, I had to pay back a phone bill that went overboard when I was like 15 or 16. My mom made me get like this job and I was dying underneath the white lights of a, of a right. corporate like, you know, setting. Um, so I knew I couldn't sit at a desk and I needed to be creative. But then I discovered dermatology throughout the process and I loved it because I could see people coming in who wanted to help themselves. They had that motivation to help themselves because they saw something was wrong with their skin. And then I realized as well that you can also be artistic in it and not just have a one-off relationship with a patient like a plastic surgeon does, says adieu, never sees them back really. And you're changing someone with plastic surgery. With derm, I could be within the confines of your face and make it quote unquote, you know, just a little bit, I I don't don't want to say better,
4: refined. To make that person feel better more confident, and yeah. more confident. Was that something core to you, like growing up? Did you always have this like, kind of like, I want to help others. Like, I want people to be a little bit more confident or a little bit more happier or smile brighter. Like, was that something core to you as a child as well? I don't, in
3: the moment as a child, I don't think so. Because I was also the youngest of three girls and the youngest of almost seven cousins. If on my dad's side, and I was the one who was always made fun of. (laughs) So maybe subconsciously, because I was always, and I love them, I love my sisters, I love my cousins, Mm -hmm. and they are honestly (laughs) my strongest support system today. But growing up, it was tough. Like I was made fun of because I'm so white. I was made fun of because I was the youngest. I was made fun of because they would tell me to shut up because I was the youngest, like, you know, constantly. And so I was always like, F you in my head. (laughs) Like I'm going to show you guys. And maybe. Counterintuitively, it came out like, let me help others to see how others I can help, because I was always kind of like put down in that sense as Mm -hmm. a kid. Um, But in the moment, I wasn't thinking, let me help others. It was more like I was
4: retaliating to my environment. I think what's also really interesting is that you figured out what you wanted to do at a young age, right? Because I think a lot of us, we have like this trial and error phase where we're like, working the corporate life after college and the desk jobs and whatever. And then we only realized like 10 years later that like, (laughs) it's not for us. Like that's what happened to me. Right. And like, I, I, like I did all the things because society told me to do those things. And I got the job where, you know, it was credible to get the job because my school told me that like all the smart kids would get a job there. And then it wasn't until like, probably like seven years later, I finally quit and started my own company and I came alive and was finally able to like really realize my potential. So I find it really interesting that at like 15, 16, you're like, I'm going to be a dermatologist. I knew it, but it's not that the journey was easy. Right. And no, like, of course not. It was, I,
3: I wanted to quit. I started med school at 20 and I remember like very vividly, like it was yesterday. And this is almost 20 years ago now. I came home because I was living at home. And I was bawling. And my dad's like, what's wrong? I was like, dad, I have no social life. Not that I was like the biggest social butterfly (laughs) before that. But I was like, there's no social life. All my friends are either juniors or seniors in college still. Mm. I was the youngest person in my class in med school. I couldn't even drink after finals, you know, to like do something. And I was like, I'm fucked. Like, I have no social life. Like, how am I going to live? I want to quit. And he was like, Shereen, listen, you've made it this far. Just get your MD and think of the next few years of your life as you going to prison. Put in the work. Go to prison. Once you have that, no one will take it away from you. It's in your head. It's in you. Like, you already earned it. Just do whatever you want after that. And I was like, fine. You know what? You're right. (laughs) You know, like, what else am I going to do? I'm not going to sit down and go back to like, you know. So I was like, he's right. I'm going to do it. This is what I wanted to do. And let me see. And thank God he told me that. Although the irony of it is, my first year of residency, I actually ended up in a prison hospital. So oh I was like, F god. you dad. <laughs> like, now I'm really totally gonna yeah. universe. He put for it a for me. That is crazy. I know. So that was like, the thanks for everything. And I literally ended up in a prison hospital for my first year of training. Oh um, my god. So that was like the kind of the joke. But I wanted to quit several times. A hundred thousand percent. Um, especially as a 20-year-old watching Mm -hmm. her friends go to clubs, dance on tables, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was at the library at 2 a.m. And they would come in drunk, like laughing, and I'd be like, oh, look at them.
2: Yeah. It's hard. And it you was, had to take
3: yourself more seriously. Yeah. And I had to hold myself in a different kind of light, you know, especially because I was the youngest and all of my classmates were like 27, so 28. Crazy. I feel I like been, it's a
4: common theme that you're always the youngest, like in your which family. Which is weird and now because now I'm school. surrounded
3: by fetuses around me who <laughs> 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 are doing social media. And I still feel like I'm 17, you know?
2: Yeah. So it's... I feel like that's a part of aging, like always thinking you're young. Like I, I don't feel 31. You're still young,
4: yeah. But still, like I'm like I'm
3: like 25 in my mind. It's not relative, but I do think I think that's like the healthy approach. As long as you feel young, you will be young. You know, like age is seriously just a number. Yeah. And I've met 20 year olds or 23 year olds who appear much
4: older than what they are. Yeah. I think it's also just how you are like inside.
3: It's
2: true.
4: So what are some tactics that you do? Because you also look extremely young and you have this like energy of like playfulness and like youthfulness to you. Like what are some practices you do for like mindfulness or, you know, spending time with your family? You mentioned you go to Connecticut for the weekend to just like unplug and have your own little oasis. Like do all of those things kind of like refuel you so that you can go back? Most recently, post-pandemic, yes. The whole Connecticut thing. That was a
3: fluke that we discovered because of the pandemic and that I'm very grateful for because I didn't realize how drained my energy was from New York City on a Mm day-to-day. So that was a happy accident, which I've realized was much needed. But what do I do? Genuinely, I never take myself too seriously. It it sounds cliche, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, at the end of the day, like all of our shit stinks. Yeah, (laughs) At the end of the day, we all have our own insecurities. Even the prima donnas who come in who are like, you know— whatever yeah in society and even the ones who are like saving every penny to come in like even everybody has the same shit right so what's the point of taking yourself so seriously what's the point there is no point so I literally just kind of keep that going and it's funny like when people come in saying like they're 44. I hate my nose. It's so bad. I look at that like, did you make your life based off of what you look like? Like, is that what's driving your life? Is that what's keeping you financially stable? Is that? And they're like, no, I'm like, so who cares? Like, who cares? You've lived with this nose your whole life. And only this year you noticed that it looks like this because you realized it in a selfie, but you've lived your whole life this way. Are you going to really beat yourself up because your nose looks this way at 44 when you realized it in one picture? So by not taking yourself seriously, do you also, like, not care what other people think? It would be a lie for me to say, no, I don't care what other people think. But I think the majority of me does not care what other people think. (laughs) You know, there's always a moment where I'm like, "Uh," you know, especially in today's culture where everyone is so toxic and everyone wants to, like, just misconstrue what you say or how you say it. Yeah. Um, so I've learned to be a little bit more careful in that sense. But I think as long as I know my own intent and intention and genuinely I'm coming from a place of trying to help and be positive, and I'm not trying to bring anyone else down. I don't care.
4: Yeah, because I feel like you just mentioned like a client comes in and like, I hate my nose. Like, I wonder like how much of that is that she hates her nose or she cares so much what people think. I think it's the second. Right? Right.
3: Because she's lived 44,
4: 45 years and she just noticed it. So I'm sure you get a lot of clients coming in where like a lot of the like reason behind their like charge of like wanting to get something done is like because they care what people think or like everyone in their status level like is doing the same thing. And yeah, so
3: that's where it comes back. If the genuine excitement for her coming in is not there to be excited about some sort of like evolution. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't do this. Well, that's like a
2: really interesting thing that I didn't think much about in your profession. Like there's obviously so many questions we have for you, but you are really dealing with a very real sense of like generational insecurity. Yeah. Right. Like you are at the forefront of like an age of everyone getting things done. The internet, the Kardashians, the like internet look, you know, that everyone has. And I think like that's something that you are personally like face to face with every single day. And while that's a part of what's, you know, giving you financial independence and your brand and all that, like measuring when it becomes toxic, when it's too much, when it's not right is like such an
3: interesting thing. Like, is that? On the daily. Yeah. On the daily. I will say, though, this is what I'm most grateful for social media for, because I was able to, first of all, on social I've always subscribed to just being myself. Mm -hmm. I've never tried to fit a template of I'm going to do a pillow talk five times a week. I'm going to do this six times a week. I never allowed myself, at least for Shereen Idris, Instagram and social, to be a slave to that. So I was always just myself. So whoever discovers me, discovers me as I am. So they know already what they're getting when they're coming in. Do you know what I'm saying? So I didn't have to sit down and then change your mind or change your perspective about the world. And the people who want that full radical transformation they're probably never going to come to me, which is great. God bless. Go find yeah. your own people because I would not be for you anyway. And we would have yeah. wasted each other's time. So I think for the most part, like nine out of 10 times, people already know what they're getting when they're coming into me. Yeah. And they already know my philosophy and what I subscribe to in life and what I subscribe to aesthetically. But I still have to deal with that cultural perspective on a daily. And there are patients who I don't necessarily agree that they need bigger lifts or that they need more of this or... But because I've known them for so long, and I'll be very honest, I'll be like, "Listen, I don't think you need this. I don't think I should inject you. But I know that if I don't, you're such a pain in the ass. You're probably going to go somewhere else, and they're going to f it up like they've done last time. (laughs) And I'm going to have to fix it again. So I'd rather control how much I give you. I'm going to give you a little bit, but know that this is not what I want to do, and you're not going to get this next time. And literally, that's how I keep them in check. And it's a very honest discussion. And it's not—I'm not for everyone. Some people be like, "Go screw yourself. I'm paying you. Do whatever I want." Fine, but I'm not going to be that person. And so that's how I deal with it, you know. And I let them know I'm losing money. I'm losing money telling you no. I'm losing money telling you I don't think I should do this. Like you're kind of wasting my time. But I see this as a long term relationship and I view this as a way that we can grow together. And if that's what you want, stick by me. And if it's not what you want to understand, then I'll give you names of other people who you can go to to get those injections or whatever it is.
2: Yeah. And I think also in a larger sense, like kind of stopping everyone from just looking all like copycats of the same. 100%. Like it's, I have no hate on obviously like on cosmetic anything. And I think that everyone should do what suits them. But it is true. Like everyone really does start to look the same. And it's sad because everyone does have unique beauty. Like Like we we, all
3: have cheekbones, we all have a jawline, we all have a nose, we all have lips, we all have eyes, but they're all slightly different. And it's very easy to be like, well, everyone has eyes, they all kind of look the same. No, we don't. In the same way that you two look very different, Mm -hmm. right? You both have the exact same features, right? right? But it's a matter of making those features yours. And that's what I try to do. I'm not trying to, you know put her eyes on your face. Otherwise, it wouldn't be your face. Right. Yeah. Do you know? But
4: did you always have this level of conviction, like telling clients, no, like you of don't course. need this? Or Like, did that come with like more comfort when she started getting comfortable with the practice or whatever? Or from the beginning, you were just like, no, I'm going to just like tell them straight up.
3: I think like the very, very beginning, like that first year, I was more terrified than anything, you know, and I was like trying to figure myself out as I came along. But then in the same way that I realized, even like with social, like just be yourself. I didn't want to deal with those pain in the asses that I was yeah. scared of treating in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So I would rather just be myself. Right. It was hard because I was very young when I started. I was 28, 29. And so and I had a baby face. And so I looked, so I used to wear fake eyeglasses at work to give myself a little bit of authority. And I remember thinking to myself, how easy it's going to be when I'm 60 years old or 70 years old. And I, <laughs> I probably won't be pressing when I'm 70, but like 55, 60. And I have the authority of age by my side mm-hmm. to be like, no. But then I was like, I don't want to wait till I'm 55 or 60 to say no to people. Like, I want to tell them now so I can grow with them. And so it was a relatively early revelation for me, at least from a professional standpoint, that I did not want to feel like I was, you know, just doing whatever anybody wanted me to do. Again, in terms of freedom, you know, subjective freedom, aesthetic freedom, not just financial freedom. So what about in your personal life, like with dating? Obviously, you're married
2: now, you have two kids. But like, were you like that with dating? Were you very like... Good I, at saying no and
3: just like, you know, being discerning. So my first, so I didn't, I didn't have like a crazy dating life. I was so focused on getting into Durham and like, I had a lot of guy friends, but I never really dated because I was just focused on my life and like how to achieve my own freedom, Mm -hmm. right? Financially, never to be reliant on my parents, et cetera. So I was not someone who dated a lot, but my first boyfriend, I remember I knew from the beginning he wasn't right for me, but he was so nice. And I was just like, he's so nice. You know, like I just kept going with it for like a long (laughs) time until like it was obvious that it wasn't. (laughs) Totally right, you know. And I remember thinking to myself after that, like, there's no point in wasting your time because you're going to be stuck with somebody and you're going to end up like living this lie in a sense. Yeah. So, with my actual husband, it was from the very beginning. I was like, I am not doing this, I'm not doing that. And he, it just, he got it, you know. And and the same vice versa, he would show up and be a mess in my apartment. And he wasn't trying to act like he was clean by any way, you know. Like more authentic. It was what it was from the very beginning. And then you realize there's no point to life not being yourself and not being who you are because you're going to be miserable if you're putting up a front the whole time.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I also think that's an important parenting uh, strategy to just show your kids to be themselves and they don't have to be perfect and they don't have to be this image and they don't have to take themselves seriously like you can fall and like get back up and laugh at yourself. And like, I think that's so important. I'm pregnant, by the way. So like, this is all very top of mind to just like, just show kids that your authenticity and who you are is totally fine. And you don't have to subscribe to what everyone's doing at school and what your friends are doing and all that. Because I feel like if you don't instill that at home, they go into these other environments and then they just start picking up on what everyone else is doing. And that's how you kind of go down a deep path.
3: A hundred percent. I have two little kids. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And especially in New York City, you know, living, you know, on the Upper East Side. like mm-hmm. There's all these stereotypes, you know, and I'm like, my daughter almost has a unibrow and every day I'm like,
4: I love your eyebrows. Aww.
3: I draw my eyebrows in because I want my eyebrows like yours, like, you know. <laughs> it's
0: like instilling the yes, confidence from, in her, just yeah. like
4: you do with your clients, like instilling it at home. I
3: hope so. I mean, that's sort of the hypothesis. So fingers crossed that it comes, you know, to fruition. But I try.
2: Yeah. I try. So. This is something we've discussed, and even last night. Obviously, New York is very energizing and like keeps you go go go, which is a part of why Annabelle and I as ex-New Yorkers miss it. But like last night, I went to a Persian like Noruz, Persian New Year, little soirée, and it was so much fun. But in true Persian fashion, we ate at 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. I had two glasses of wine, and getting up this morning, I literally thought I was like, "How does?" shireen do this because she has to get up and and inject people's faces and be on and be a mother and be a wife and be all these things like how does she like i said that to annabelle i was getting matcha. i was like she has to like not only personal like your personality not only has to be on but your everything everything like you're literally using your hands like how yeah Yeah. first all do you drink
3: so I do, I do, but I would probably drink like, it sounds, I sound like an alcoholic. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, hold on, Okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I drink, yes. Um, but in New York City, you go out, right? Like three, four times a week yeah, at night an, or five times. And then you have a drink. Or are so, so then you're drinking like four or five times a week at night. So I remember like, I've stopped drinking. I drink like once a month now. And okay. I've been very intentional. I, like, I pick a night with my husband, we're going to go out and have a drink. So hold on. Once this a star- month? So it started with dry January this year okay. and now we're like okay I can't completely but maybe like once or twice a month we'll have a drink at dinner or something and I remember I was telling this to the people who work in my office I'm like guys I'm not really drinking anymore once a month or <laughs> they're, and they're like why well, how much were you drinking before I was like oh probably like five to seven eight times a week and they're like what did I, yeah.
4: like, I sound like, like an alcoholic
3: but then I was like wait a second it was like a glass of wine with dinner and you're going out five times and maybe it's a glass and a half yeah and it adds up and you're like holy moly like that's, what is yeah yeah so I've actually cut it so but I'm, that's recent it's recent. And so, what did you do before? Yeah, but like it's how, not. But it's like one glass. So it was like not crazy. Beyond <laughs> drinking, beyond
2: <laughs> drinking. Like, yeah. how do you show up for yeah, everyone like, every we single talk- day? Yeah, okay. we talked about this. So before I will say this: there we is recording. no
3: balance. Right, right. There is no balance. There are days where I'm like. I don't want the patients to speak. I just want to go in and inject. And I'll be like, guys, I'm sorry. As I come in, you've probably seen me this and I have a headache. But talk to me. What's going on? I'll do my best. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I try try to just prioritize. Patients are number one priority. So that's always going to be number one. I'll save all my energy for patient care. I might be a little bit sloppy with Tiffany, who helps me on social media that day. Mm -hmm. Tiff, I don't feel like doing a TikTok for you. I'm a little tired. So there's no real full balance in that sense. Mm -hmm. I will say... The drinking never really affected me because it was one drink. So I wasn't buzzed or drunk or anything. I was doing it socially. So it was never, it never really fully affected me. But of recent, I will try to meditate three times a week in the morning where I do like 20 minutes of meditation. It's like this transcendental stuff. I don't know. I just discovered with my husband since January. (laughs) It's made a huge difference. I feel much more centered and balanced. And I feel like you work through your problems before the day starts in your mind and you just have a clear kind of day. So I try to do that at least three to four times a week. And every day I try to have at least like a couple of, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes with my kids that are protected time. So at least I feel like gave them something of me. So I'll try to always get that in. And then the rest is kind of a shit show. But patients are always number one. And then the rest, social media comes second. Do I, can I do this business meeting? Maybe, maybe. Like It's just, I, I'm okay pivoting and I'm okay being flexible. And I think as long as you're okay pivoting and being flexible on a daily basis, it will always work out on a long-term view.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
2: Would you say that you're fully
3: extroverted, like extrovert, extrovert? No. Really? I actually think I'm really introverted. I actually, it's weird. Like I'm an introverted extrovert.
4: Yeah, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah.
3: I need alone time. Like I need to go sit alone just to kind of like, like reach energize. You get don't my, really get that much alone time. That's what's been hard. And I've struggled. And you know, Tiffany's here. She works with me in the office and she's seen me struggle because my office also has glass doors. So I'm trying to figure out how to get that alone time. But again, I'm pivoting and I'm flexible and it's we've changed my patient schedule in a way where every day I have a little bit of time and we have these fake <laughs> appointments on my schedule that might be like I'm meeting with Cynthia but Cynthia doesn't exist. It's like 30 minutes alone. Like, yeah. you know, so people think I have a meeting but I try to get it in. And even the bathroom. The bathroom is a great place to be alone. No one comes into the bathroom when you're in the bathroom. That is like, you know, it's occupied. They leave you
4: in. Yeah, it's locked.
2: It's locked. No one wants to come in. No one wants to come in. Do you
4: ever feel like pressure to like have to show up every day? Like, you know, sometimes probably there's times in your life where you're going through like a rough patch, maybe personally or work-wise or whatever, and you know, your kids are sick and your husband's out of town and all like whatever comes up to have to like go in and have a business that completely relies on your face, your hands, your personality and you showing up. Does that ever bring you like this 100%, like, pressure?
3: hundred percent. hundred percent. And I think that's like one of the biggest fallacies of life is like being an entrepreneur, right? Owning your own business. All of these like Gary Vee's were like, yeah, quit school, do your own business. And you're like, <laughs> like, dude, first, it's not for everyone personality wise. Two, it's the biggest lie. The more success you get, I think, and the more you're like the top boss, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. The more of a slave you are, not only to yourself, but to everybody who's dependent on you, Mm -hmm. right? Financially, like I'm helping them live their lives. If I don't show up, how are we going to continue to create so I can pay and they can live their lives? And not just that, in my case, it's not only on a practice sense, right, because I have people who work in the office, but socially, I have over like a million people following on various platforms. I have to show up Mm -hmm. and make sure that I'm giving them information so they can help themselves. So if you don't love it, you're effed, (laughs) you know? And if you don't have that drive and that inner fulfillment and motivation, you're totally effed. And money cannot be the drive because money will come and go and the the bar for money always changes. You might think $50 is a lot today, you might think it's nothing tomorrow. And that is a very dangerous place to be. So I think having the drive to really love what you do is the biggest thing because you are going to have days where you feel like fuck, I don't want to show up. I don't want to go in. But then you look around and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I have all these people depending. I have all this. so being an entrepreneur, being the big boss is great gaining financial freedom to a certain extent is great. But once you're there, you're actually the biggest slave to everyone else. And it's ironic because I did a painting when I started my office free, 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 free. And yeah. I wrote it on the paint and it's hanging in the office. And it should have been like slaves, like, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, Yeah, <laughs> because I'm not free. Yeah, at least not right now. But It's also very fulfilling, though, when I see, like, Tiffany getting, you know, whatever she's she's trying to achieve. Or I see Vanessa, you know, who was my medical assistant and now is the office manager. And she's, like, really growing. And I'm watching her
4: achieve her dreams. Like, it's very fulfilling. So, you know. Still a lot of pressure. It's pressure. And, like, I'm wondering, too, because it's, like, once you had kids, like, how did that all change? Because you went from, like— clients are your number one thing all the time and work is your number one thing all the time to having two children at home. And now it's like, they're pulling you in one direction too. You want to spend time, quality time with your family. So how did like motherhood change, I guess, your relationship with like balance? I know balance doesn't exist, but like whatever version of like balance you had before.
3: So the transition was very hard. It was really hard. You know, and I did IVF and I knew I put those babies in on purpose, <laughs> you know, but it was very hard. And I think becoming a mom, becoming a parent in general, is one of the hardest things because you have a little thing that's completely, fully dependent, reliant on you, not just for survival, but also for fulfillment and love and all this stuff that you have to kind of reset a little bit your own priorities. And it's hard, especially when you're so driven and you've lived your whole life just for yourself and you're just constantly on the go, literally just for yourself. Um, That now all of a sudden you have to reshift your viewpoint. So it's been a struggle. I think the fact that COVID happened was it automatically a reset for me because I wasn't working for a few months. So I had to, and it was very hard. I struggled during those months. I was like, what am I doing? Where is my purpose? Like, I'm just sitting here, like, literally. During COVID? Yeah, Yeah. sticking a bottle in. Like, it was hard. But it also allows you to see things from a different perspective. And now that my kids can communicate, it's probably when I could tell you that I really am starting to fall in love with motherhood. Like, when they were babies, One-year-old, two-year-olds, by the way, are like drunken 40-year-old overweight men who are extremely (laughs) dangerous to not best themselves with everyone around them. It was zero to two was very hard for me. Two and a half on, once they start to communicate and talk and speak, it's a whole different level of engagement that I really want to be with them, that I want to engage with them. I want to talk. I want to hear their viewpoint. I learn so much from my kids, and I see things from a different perspective through them. And my kids have taught me how to be a better, I think, employer a better boss I've become much more patient I used to be extremely impatient Mm -hmm. you know and now I'm like okay try drawing that again (laughs) you know same thing and so it gives you a different perspective and a different sort of like viewpoint on life and it makes you realize you know at the end of the day like this person who's bugging me was a baby too (laughs) you know like it kind of shifts your perspective and you're like okay like you know let's where did, how did they grow up? How did they think, let's be a little bit more patient with this person. Maybe they had a different sort of upbringing, you know? And so it gives you a different viewpoint when you're dealing with people. Were
4: you always able to separate kind of like the home life with the kind of work life? Like when you're, you mentioned the zero to two was like a huge struggle for you, like with breastfeeding and, and all sorts of things we were talking about before. Like, how do you kind of just like be like, okay, well, that's like, there and now I'm in the office and now I need to inject this person or show up for this client. So how do you show up in both areas and also process this like pain or grief of your old life and this like change of all that's coming?
3: I think I'm relatively good at compartmentalizing, but I'm only good at it because I talk about stuff. Like, are you in, in therapy, in my no, I'm, I'm actually I, my, my, my patients are my therapists. Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> throughout the day, I'm like verbal diarrhea all day, every day. I don't need a therapist. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because throughout the day. I'm like talking about problems. I'm very open about my own issues and struggles Mm -hmm. that when I talk about it with patients, they give me advice too. And I hear about their stories and it gives me a different, that I get to process things. But when I'm with my, that's sort of the relationship I have with my patients. So that keeps me in patient care away from the kids. And I also hear about their lives more than I hear about my own, but it's a way for me to kind of continuously be present without having to feel like I have to put up a front for the patient. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. you've probably experienced it. Definitely. Where I've told you, my God, my daughter's not sleeping. Or, like, I told you, how do I start a podcast, you know, podcast even. Yeah. And you're, like, talking to me about your own life. So it's a constant form of
2: therapy, being a Yeah, I mean, care. I've been in your office many— I feel like I've been in your office every single time I've gone through a breakup. And I'm, yeah. like,
4: always hysterically
2: crying. Yeah. And, I'm like, am I ugly? Should I get stuff done? She's like, you need to go home.
4: Yeah. <laughs> but I think vice versa, you're also a therapist for your clients. Yeah, exactly. Like, I
3: love what I do because I'm not in any way, shape, or form (laughs) certified to be a therapist. So there's no, like, you know, repercussion on the advice that I give, but I give advice day in and day out. But vulnerability is advice. Yeah. And you're very
2: vulnerable. Like, I remember you telling me, you're like, it's going to work out. I broke up with my boyfriend. Like, I remember you relate through, which I feel like you're very similar. And I guess I am too in some ways, but like, relate through your own experience. And that's so comforting.
4: Yeah, because when you're vulnerable with someone, it's much easier for the other person to be vulnerable. And then you create, like, a deeper relationship, right? It's true. And it's so funny because
3: yesterday I was at dinner with my husband. We were, like, on a Was date it night. a
4: drinking night?
3: No, yeah, it, was it wasn't, actually. Awesome. It, was it was not the one. a drinking night. At the no, one we, had, we had a mocktail. <laughs> Mine was terrible. And his tasted like, vinegar it was really bad. I'm so proud but, of you guys. Yeah, I'm just trying to be a little <laughs> bit better, you know? But I was at dinner, and I was like, why is it that, like—and again, going extrovert to introvert—I'm like, at work— I connect so much with my patients, like in the exam rooms, and I really, I actually genuinely like each person who is like a patient of mine, because mm-hmm. I know about their life and I speak to them and I really get them. But like in a social setting, you put me like at a conference, and i like, I shrink. don't want to talk to anyone. Like you know, mm-hmm. I shrink. And he's like, because you like to be in the position of power. I'm like, that's not true. I don't think it's a position of power, and I think you just hit it. I'm going to tell him to this today because I think <laughs> it's because they're in a vulnerable state. I become more vulnerable by exposing things and it becomes a much more honest and more meaningful conversation, even though it's just a 15, 20 minute visit. Whereas when you're in a social setting, no one's going to want to put down their guard and be in a vulnerable state. So I'm like, what's the point of having a bullshit conversation? And so I kind of disappear into the corner because I don't want to waste my time with bullshit conversations. Not that every conversation has to be deep, but like... I don't want to sit down on the superficial and waste 30 minutes of my life. And this person doesn't give a crap and just is trying to figure out what they can get out of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting perspective that he was like power dynamic. I'm like I don't think that's it, and I think you kind of just made me realize what it is. Well, that's
2: also like
3: coming back to what we were talking about
2: earlier. You're literally sitting with someone in their insecurities, and they're telling you I hate my nose. They're telling you I don't my skin is bad because I have a thyroid disorder. Like, you know, whatever it is, like that is the most vulnerable you can be in a lot of ways is sitting in that chair because it also plays to vanity. It's like not just a medical condition. It's like you see it as like a part of you and that is so vulnerable. So it's so different. But speaking of your husband, so we have your patients, you have your kids, you have your family life, you have your business, you have your employees, you have all of these things. Like how do you through
3: all of that nourish that relationship it's i mean you have to have two very honest people mm-hmm. i think in a relationship and i'm not saying my relationship is perfect by any means you know it's a constant struggle like if he calls me and i'm in a meeting and i'm like can you call me back like i'm in a meeting you know i don't ever want him to feel like he's neglected but if i've done that like too much in a day at night i'll make sure to give him attention right you know like i'll, I'll try to make sure that every day he gets my attention and he's the one constant that gets it kind of the most even over the kids, I would say. Because mm-hmm. if the relationship falls, the kids will feel it. And I feel like at least for me, if I keep making him that personal priority, the kids will always be a priority because then he'll focus on the kids and then I'll fo- it's kind of become a, you know, a yin and a yang. If I'm always focusing on the kids, he's going to get resentful towards the kids. He's not going to want to focus on me. It becomes like a spiraling thing. So he's actually my priority.
4: I agree.
3: Wrong yeah, as that is to say in today's day, no, yeah, but some people are like the kids are the priority, and you're like, sure, but if your relationship and you are in a quote unquote it's very the foundation, clash, it's the foundation. You
4: can't if your foundation is not strong, you will never be able to be the best mom and the best dad. Yeah, right? I, I,
3: I, I, that's what I'm going with. And there's a lot of single parents out there, but they cho- they either cho- chose or they, chose, they didn't, yeah. or they didn't. But they're in a situation where, depending on your way of life, like depending on your situational situation in life, whether you are a single parent or in a relationship with another human being, right? And you have kids and that is sort of the setup of your life. Make the foundation as strong as it can be for the kid. Mm -hmm. If you are in a relationship with someone else, let that foundation be so strong that the kids are innately going to be happier. If you're in a relationship with yourself and you have kids, make sure that you are okay with yourself before you have kids because I have patients who are single, who are looking to have kids and who am I to tell them not to, right? But there's one in particular who I absolutely adore. I've known her for over 10 years and I'm very honest with her. And I'm like, hey, so-and-so, are you sure you want to go on this journey alone? Because I know you and I know you as a human being. Is this something that you can take up? Because if you're not fully okay with yourself, how are you going to expect to be present for someone else? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard thing for someone to say, and you're like, she's just her doctor, like, you know, but at least it's an honest perspective. And if I could at least give her two minutes of thought to really think about it and save a kid from a lifetime of kind of like imbalance. Like probably using
2: the kid as like a... A crutch. So I,
4: I agree with that. I also think like, again, this is also top of mind for me now, because I'm having a baby in two months, but it's like, if you don't have the self-love and if you don't have any form of self-expression, whether that's a job or a passion that you do, I think you inherently start putting stuff on the kid to make you fulfilled. And I think going down that road can be very slippery because then you're like, okay, well, the kid has to be in piano because I always wanted to be in piano and the kid has to go to this school because so-and-so is going there. And then you just start like getting your needs met from this kid. But then you're missing out on their true essence and like letting them shine and who they are. That's not just the kid, even in a relationship. Like yes, If you're not so true. fulfilled with yourself. Yes.
3: Let's say you love fucking doodling on a paper and that makes you happy. <laughs> doodle away because if you don't doodle, you're going to be resentful towards your partner. And then you're going to start nitpicking on your partner. Why do you speak like that? Why do you talk like that? Why are you always shy? Like, you know, And then that yeah. becomes toxic over time. So it's not just with kids. I think it's any form of a relationship. And if you don't have a solid understanding of your faults and your goods and your whatever it is, or at least a self-awareness about yourself, it's always going to be projected in some way, shape, or form in a negative way on any relationship with your kids, with your husband, with your boyfriend, with your partner, with your girlfriend, with your employee, with your this patients, mm-hmm. you know, like I've seen it where there are certain doctors who like project their own securities on their patients. I've actually been in rooms shadowing physicians throughout my career where I'm like, why was a doctor an asshole like that to that patient in a way where they weren't necessarily an asshole, but the way they spoke was just not, something wasn't right. And it didn't come from the patient Yeah, it was, and you could see a projection happening. So it can happen in any, in any setting. So I think really the, the the goal is to try to be as comfortable and honest with yourself about your positives, your negatives, your thoughts. Like saying, I wasn't happy that I had a kid, even though I tried through IVF to have a kid. And when they were born, I was really like, fuck, what did I do with my life? And I felt guilty thinking that after not being able to get pregnant for five years and going through how many rounds of IVF. And then this baby was finally here. And I was like, fuck, what did I do? And I regretted it in that moment. At least I was honest enough to say it out loud. And I didn't feel that I ever had to bury that thought in my mind you know, and I was lucky to have somebody that I was always honest with and vice versa, that I felt I could say those thoughts to without feeling judged, you know. But if I had to go live my life and act like, oh, it's wonderful. I have a two-month-old and she's amazing. And I inside was like, fuck, what did I do to my life? Yeah. How do you live your life that way without feeling some sort of resentment?
4: Right. It's a, what you were saying before, too, about the the breastfeeding thing. It's like, society tells you, you have to do it. So as you said, you just started pumping and you were like a machine. Like you just literally sat there with a pump attached to it. I did it for
3: six months and I regret it because fed is best. The kid was going to survive on formula. And I didn't get the chance to fully bond in a way that was fully loving without any sort of resentment with my daughter in the first six months of her life. Because each time I pumped, I'm like, fuck it, I gotta do this again. With my son, I told my husband, step aside do not bring any lactation specialist anymore into my house. <laughs> I am doing this for six weeks. He's on his own after six weeks. Formula it is. And it was such a different experience. And I got to enjoy my daughter through the process more with my son and really kind of be more present. Because also hormonally, you're going to go through some sort of imbalance when you're breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. At least I did. And I felt like I was kind of just down. It wasn't fun. And it was obviously like I was stuck to a machine every three hours in between patients. My alarm would go off and i be like, I got to go pump. I'll be right back in 10 minutes. It was horrible it was not a good part of my life or motherhood experience. So if ever you feel that. Put your foot down and it's okay. The kid's going to survive as long as you're feeding them and loving them. That's more important than giving them breast milk.
4: Right. And you really like took your experience from, from your first child and was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing it. this to myself again. Yeah. Do you think in your first child, you were much more like caring what what like you should properly yeah. be doing? Because like, I didn't what know. Society... There's, no,
3: there's no like instruction manual. Yeah, and there's so you, not. And so you think, okay, this is what we're told we have to do. And obviously breast milk is probably better. Sure. You know? but not at the expense of but yourself. But not at the expense of yourself. And I think if you can't show up for yourself again, you how can't are you show that? up for the kid. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's like putting on your own oxygen mask before you can put on someone else's. Yeah. Cuz I can imagine that's so difficult. You're like at work doing what you love, but you're interfacing with patients, so you can you have to like kind of fake it. And then you're going to pop, like that's a lot.
3: It was a lot. But I think again, you pivot. You realize something didn't work. You pivot, you don't repeat, you know.
2: Well, I'm glad you could pivot because I feel like a lot of people, especially mothers and women, there's so much about like what you should be doing and who you should be and how you should do
3: things. And, and there's a guilt. I mean, there was a guilt with my son because I was like, I did that for six months for her. I'm not going to do that for him. Right. But I was also like, I was also miserable. So it was a quick pivot, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's just like, so
4: much noise out there and so many people's opinions. And I think for me, at least, what I'm trying to do is just like try to, have like a stronger gut intuition connection right now. So whether that's by meditating or journaling or whatever it is to really foster more of the intuition connection so that I can try to drown out as much noise as I possibly can when I start getting everyone's opinions. But it's hard because if you don't have your own like voice and you're not confident in yourself, you're just going to be constantly swayed. But it's okay. I will tell you, it is okay with your first kid
3: it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to listen to other people when you shouldn't have listened to other people. You're only going to know what you want to do for your next kid if you want a next kid by kind of experiencing them. Like how will you know what you want in an experience that you've never experienced without trying different methods? But I think the biggest thing I wish I had done is recognize, but it was hard because again, hormonally you're a little off. At least I was postpartum. Recognizing when something is not necessarily working for you and putting yourself as a priority As a new mom is probably the best advice I have for you. Like if you think something is affecting you mentally and you're just not fully, you know, there and you're doing something and you don't feel like it's okay to say, I want to try something different and I'm gonna put myself first. Because as parents, especially as new moms, and when a baby comes out of you, there's an immense guilt that comes that you have to do something. And if you don't do it, you're a bad person. And if, if I'm not there every hour of the day, I'm a terrible mom. And if I'm not like there's so much guilt that we create for ourselves that's not real it's okay to to experience it. But if you recognize that you're experiencing it to pivot very fast, but you're going to make mistakes. We all, I'm going to still make mistakes. We all make mistakes.
4: But I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about not taking yourself too seriously. And if you can always have that kind of like mindset, and obviously sometimes like, you know, you're more in your feelings and you don't think about that part. But if you can always have that mindset, then you just kind of like, you just go with the flow. Yeah, exactly.
2: How comfortable are you? It sounds like you're pretty comfortable with not failing, but like... Failure? Yeah.
3: <laughs> like, failure is my middle name, and persistence is my first. <laughs>
2: okay, <laughs> oh, I so, love that. That's, that's like, yeah, like... Did you just come just up like, with that on the
3: fly? Because that's yeah, really good. That's oh, really you. good. That's like, that's my forte, are those little nuggets. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. No, <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. No, no,
3: no, I've 100%. I think we
2: all need to be a little more like that, or yeah. at least I definitely
3: do. Yeah, like, what's the word? I think with people who are... Most people, I think, are always afraid of, like, failure, What is going to be perceived if you fail? But what's the worst that happens? You failed. No one cares. They're not going to remember that in 30 years
4: that you failed that one day. In literally 30 seconds. In 30 seconds. They just care about you for 30 seconds. And
3: if they do remember it in 30 years, then they were clearly obsessed, you know? Yeah. So, So it doesn't matter. As long as you try and you failed, okay. And then you pivot and you try something else. And I think anybody can find some level of success, again, depending on whatever that metric is, if they keep trying at it while. Pivoting along the way. It's not being stubborn. It's not like hitting your head against a wall. It's recognizing when the current is going against you and trying to find another direction to get to where you want to be. And I think that's something that is a truth of life that I've realized. Like, there is always a chance to succeed if you try at it in a way that is not stubborn, in a way that you listen to other people's advice, in a way that you tried other options in order to get to where you want to get to. And it's something that I recognize not just with myself, not just professionally, personally. My husband was extremely persistent with me. Extremely, like I I would have never seen him. And if I if he had given up, like I would have missed out on. I he is the love of my life, you know. So God bless his persistence, and so many different even social media like starting pillow talk. So I started on social 2017 2018 before doctors were on. Social. Mm -hmm. And I was made so much fun of, not just by my friends, (laughs) by my parents and my sisters were like, What are you doing in bed, Shereen? Like, this is so (laughs) unprofessional. (laughs) Like, you know, like, but I was like, I'm having fun with this. And I just kept at it. And then I honestly thought I would be done in two weeks answering everyone's questions. (laughs) And it just kept going. And I was like, let me answer this question again in a different way. Cause maybe the person didn't understand how I said it the first time. And it kept going and going and going. And now it's like five years in. And I'm still going. It's all I'm hitting almost my sixth year. Like, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's a persistence of it, you
4: know, that just kept. Yeah, it seems like you were just like following your passion and you like accidentally fell into like it was an accident. It was a hundred. It was not premeditated.
3: And to this day, I'm still figuring it out as I go along. But now, obviously, I have more thought process because people are dependent.
4: But it's it was completely an accident. But that I think only comes from you being completely authentic right? Like you were your complete authentic self when you're posting and doing all those things in the early yeah, phases. Yeah. And that's what enabled you to build a following. And Did you have a following, but when you started? No. So you were just doing it. because It was like,
3: like 800 people and they're like mostly family, friends, That's cousins. so funny because like, yesterday
2: we had this comedian Kareem Rama on and he is a like, he has this amazing TikTok show. I'll send you guys. It's keep the meter running. And it's incredible. And he was really funny and really personable. And I loved what he said when he's like, I just realized I want to be myself and I'm going to embrace cringe. And I'm going to just like do whatever I want and say whatever I want and like do little bits on Instagram. And I don't care. And I was like, that is like a level of that, right? You're like, I have 800 followers. I don't care. I want like, I'm just going to be myself and help the way I can.
3: And But to See the point, happens. to the 800 people that were following me, most of them already knew me, right? right? So I was like, I already, I look like this. I sound like this. They know <laughs> what I look like. They know what I sound like. I might as well just put it on social. Yeah, that like, sort who of, cares? It was like a kind of a who cares. But I was very scared of public speaking. I still am. Yeah. And it was almost like a bet by with my nurse to start stories. And she was like, just go online and just go like vent online. And it was almost like a... Let's see if I could do it. Yeah.
4: But don't you find sometimes it's easier to be vulnerable with strangers than it is to be. Of course, because they're like la- judgment. You don't right. care because you don't care so about their judgment. So with your 800 judgment. followers, maybe that was even harder than now where like you don't know a lot of these people. I think so. I think so.
3: Because it was more like my parents and my sisters (laughs) and my aunts. Yeah, like like, people who just know you from before.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and you've also like amassed a ton of like celebrity clients, celebrity followings. Like, how did that happen? And like, did that change you at all? Did it change? If anything, it made me realize like...
3: Everyone's the same. Yeah, it's like smoke and mirrors.
4: But that's also something so brilliant about yourself too, is that you were able to stay grounded despite all the kind of like fame... From all of these things, external things, right?
3: I don't. Yeah, I genuinely. Like, maybe I am. I don't see it, and I'm not trying to be humble. This is not like a humble brag at all. <laughs> but I don't see that fame. Like I, I really don't at all. And at the end of the day, I'm serving other people. Do you know? I'm really serving my patients and people who need help. So I am not like coming in holier than that. Like I, I don't see it that way at all. And it's not the point of this at all. Like, I'm not trying to get fame. I'm not trying to get recognition. I'm not trying to, like, go to the Oscars and walk a red carpet. I would actually probably, like, break out with an IBS, like, disaster on the red carpet. It's more about, like, helping people throughout this process and really trying to make sure that they're connected with themselves in a more confident and happier way. It's amazing.
2: And also, as you said, like, if you are doing what fulfills you, and makes you happy, and all the rest follows.
3: Yeah. Like I didn't go out looking for a celebrity at all. Right. It was very random. how they DMing yeah, celebrities. Yeah. Being like, like, hey, no. like, no, it was random how it happens. And yeah. even like, I remember when the first ones like sent me a DM in my inbox and I saw that like blue tick mark. I was like, what is this? And I didn't know if it was really that person. They're like, well, I heard about you from so-and-so. I was like, what? Like, sure. Like, let the office call you to book an appointment. Like, I wasn't going to be like, come Tuesday, May 20th. Blah, blah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. All my yeah, appointments no. For you. no, no, no. no.
2: Yeah, well, it's just also, like, doing good work and then
3: people admiring that. That's fulfilling. Yeah. That's nice. It's nice to be recognized in that way.
2: I remember you telling me that as a kid you would, like, sculpt and do things like that. And I was like, that's actually, like almost exactly what you're doing now.
3: 100%. Like if I didn't have a puzzle, I would create my own pieces of a puzzle and then build like before 3D puzzles were a thing, like out of paper, I did like a White House situation. My parents were like, what are you doing? And it was just like, I felt like it was fun to create the puzzle and then to put it together in a 3D
4: format. But I would do that for like hours. definitely
3: an art. Yeah, you're bringing back
4: the playfulness from when you were a kid into like the things you do today. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I love it. So we end every podcast with a question. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. What's your point? What's my point? Yeah, what's the point? What's your why?
2: And it can be just for right now. Just like what's the point? And by the
4: way, it evolves constantly. So tomorrow could be something else. But like, what's your why? Like, why did you get out of bed this morning? Like, what Like, what are you living for? Here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what is my point? It's, a, it's a, I think that's a very deep question to end the podcast <laughs> on. And I think it's a hard one to answer. And I think it changes every day. Mm-hmm, but that's... I think the thing that keeps me going is honestly feeling like I can make a small dent in someone else's life. And I can make a dent for the better in some way, shape, or form. And hopefully, you know, people when they leave my office or even the skincare line or the beauty industry, like there is something slightly better that was changed in the process that was done, you know, out of like just genuine good intent rather than trying to, you know, prey on someone's insecurities or like go after someone in that negative way that the world kind of has become. So, my why is more like to make people feel better about themselves, more confident, more empowered. And if I could do that on a daily, then I feel great. Then something something good was done. Karma is a big thing in my life. <laughs> so I feel like the karma is just like check mark
4: for the next life that we come back at. <laughs> oh, I love this. This was such a beautiful conversation. Yeah, Thank you so, so much good. for being here. Thank, you. Thank was, you. was so And fun. for always Thank being so you.
2: vulnerable and just doing the best. Doing so, so Thank so you so you. much. Thank you.